You're listening to The Wilder Podcast. Episode 16 with Isabel Fox and Duke. Hi, everybody. So I am so beyond pumped to share this episode with you guys. Um, I, I became aware of Isabel Fox and Duke. Eh, I guess like over a year ago, I heard her on a couple podcasts and I was just so intrigued by her message. I read a few articles of hers on Refinery29, um, Mind Body Green over the past, I guess, like two years, year. I can't really remember because it's all just this really inspired blur. Um, but yeah, I'm so honored to have the honor. I'm so honored to have the honor to speak with her in this podcast episode. We go over so much shit. I can't even begin to describe all of the amazing little nuggets we just like gave you guys in this interview. We just really flowed on the concept of body positivity, body image in the media, body image on social media, and how you can find balance. And emotional eating is not something to be afraid of. It's just, it's, there's so much here and I can't even, guys, I can't even go over all of it right now, but to sum it up, that's kind of what we go over. We have a lot more to go into that we couldn't get to. So hopefully I can have her back on the podcast. Um, she's so incredibly inspiring and you're going to just be obsessed with this episode and please, please bookmark it, save it, download it have it. Just have it in your library so that if you're ever stuck in a weird zone with your body and your body image, you can just go right to this, listen to it, and be like, oh shit, this is okay. I got it. I'm fine. I've got this. So yeah, there's that. And I'm not going to do too many announcements before we get into the interview, but I did want to announce. I've announced it on Instagram and on the blog and everything, um, but I will announce it here as well. I have finally launched my Wilder Wellness program. So what that is, is a group coaching program that you can join. It's it's What sets it apart is that there is a Facebook group involved in this. So I will be doing two Facebook lives every single week for everybody that joins. Um, so you'll, and we'll have the times for those. So you'll be able to hop on and ask me your questions and we'll kind of just flow on everything together. You're going to be getting two breakfast, two lunch, two dinner, and two snack recipes every single week. And you'll get those to your inbox in the form of an ebook, which is cool. Also, speaking of ebooks, my superfood latte and tonic ebook did debut today. Um, so that's in the shop if you want to purchase that. I believe it's $16.99. Um, so you've been asking me about my tonic recipes. I get inbox questions every single day. And I was intentionally saving those recipes and not giving them out because I did want to put them in a format where you could see them all together and just have them. Um, so that's why I created this ebook for you. Um, if you do sign up for the Wilder Wellness Program, it's not really a program. It's just a group. Um, program makes it sound like it's a course. It's not. It's just a group, coaching group. Um, you do get the tonic ebook faux free, faux frizzles. So maybe you just don't even purchase it. Maybe just join us. I already have, I think, six amazing women that have joined. Um, so it is a limited amount of people that will be joining um, because I want this to be a very, you know, intimate group. But there are several options for you to sign up. So you can get a one-month membership, 
a three-month membership and then I believe a six-month membership. Um, this is not a recurring payment. This is just a one-time thing. thing. And I know that group coaching or coaching in general can be super, such a financial commitment. So I just made this one something that I know that I would be able to swing whenever I really needed a coach. And, and you could do this in tandem with working with a one-on-one -on -one coach. So this wouldn't be your super duper, scooper deep like body image work. So that would be more Isabel Fox and Duke. So I will supply you guys with that information and in the show notes for this episode. For this, this is just going to be, we're going to go mind, body, spirit, nourishment. So we're going to go through our food. We're going to go through our thought patterns. We're going to go through um, a little bit of soul and spirit work. Nothing too woo-woo, guys. Don't worry. You can take it as far as, as you want. But we're just going to get really clear on how we thrive, what makes us thrive. And we're really going to just build this sisterhood if that makes sense so I'm really excited about that like I said it's super affordable it's one of the cheaper group coaching programs out there not that that matters it's not about money I don't even it's not even about that um it's just about me pursuing my dream and finally spreading my purpose with everyone which would be helping everybody else unlock what's within them from my experiences so just sharing my knowledge sharing what I'm passionate about with you, hopefully you can unlock what's within as well. Um, so now that I got nice and fucking deep, I've prepped you for this interview. Um, so yeah, I will just let you guys get right into this. Like I said, what I'm currently offering is way different than what Isabel does. So listen to her. If you're interested in working with her, that information is also going to be in the show notes. So I'll just let you guys go up in here and I love you and enjoy. So, well, my name is Isabel Fox and Duke, um, as is probably written below this uh, play button. Um, and I help women stop feeling crazy around food. You know, that is what I've sort of dedicated my life to. And the reason that I got into this very specific, very critical mission um, is because I myself, like so many women out there, I think like um, more women than probably we all as individuals really think is happening, feel this way, right? Feel to mm -hmm. some extent um, like food holds power over us. To some extent feel uncomfortable or um, anxious around food or feel like um, food is controlling us, right? Like I'm either constantly trying not to eat the thing or I feel mm -hmm. compulsed to eat the thing and, and everything in between, right? So a lot of my uh, clients struggle with diet binge cycling. A lot of my clients struggle with um, various forms of just feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't stop thinking about food. I can't, you know, I feel constantly like I have to be on a diet. I hate my body. And therefore, you know, I'm spending all of my time Googling paleo recipes only to end up eating, you know, brownie batter out of my kitchen mm -hmm. fridge, hoping my husband doesn't catch me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so this is just sort of this sort of contentious love hate relationship. That's a word that you hear a lot or a term you hear a lot, a lot, something I certainly related to back in the day was, you know, I have a love hate relationship with food. I just, if left to my own devices, I'd eat 
thing that isn't nailed down and I have to sit on my hands trying not to eat it because dear God, you know, what will happen if I do, you know, if I open the floodgates? Um, and so this is, you know, I think that these sorts of feelings that I'm describing are super common and they were certainly my personal story, which is why sort of how I got into this. I started dieting when I was about three years old, which is very young. Um, I was put on my first diet when I was um, that age by a pediatrician. So I basically have no memories of not thinking there was something wrong with my body. I have no memories of not being told you need to control your food and in order to control your body. Otherwise, there's something wrong with you. Um, I, uh, from that point on, basically just started diet binge cycling, just classically diet binge cycling. Again, my whole childhood, I was either um, constantly trying to be good with food, but of course, you know, eventually the day would come where I would just say, screw it, right? And I would just have go on massive binge episodes where I would just eat everything that wasn't nailed down. And these sort of periods of restriction followed by periods of binge eating kind of, um, tormented me, you know, for years all the way until, uh, sort of my college years. when I was eventually, um, actually, uh, went to rehab and was treated for binge eating disorder after a very, very, um, particularly painful sort of out of control period where I was doing all sorts of illicit and incredibly dangerous things and desperate attempts to control my weight. Right. I mean, that was, um, certainly the core um, problem was that I was just desperately trying to get my body to look the right way. Desperately, desperately, desperately. It was, it was, you know, my safety, I felt depended on my making sure my body looked the right way. And if it didn't, I felt completely horrible about myself. So, you know, these, um, this was, you know, something that I struggled with. And I think many women struggle with for so long. Um, and, and, uh, it was very, very hard for me to come out of because unfortunately there is not a lot of really good, um, treatment options around this mm -hmm. subject matter. A lot of different professionals saying all sorts of different things. Some people saying, Oh, you know, just try this diet, just try that diet. You know, that's the one you kind of hear most often, even when you're talking about, um, even when you get into sort of clinical therapy and sort of treatment options around this, you know, you'll hear things like, Oh, it's just a matter of uh, making sure you're, you're eating intuitively. Uh, but maybe there's no mention of body image work really, or it's just a matter of, you know, dealing with your family issues. But again, not a lot of mention of body image work or not a lot of mention of, you know, the fact that, you know, so many of us have been brainwashed into thinking the, in these very negative ways about our food and our bodies um, since we were little kids. So that is the overarching answer to that question. <laughs> that is the short version of a long story. Um, and so, yeah, and so that, um, you know, it, it, I spent many years, even post rehab, right. Even post binge eating, even mm -hmm. after being in rehab for binge eating disorder and really dedicating myself to try to recover from these sort of damaging cycles, um, and damaging, you know, behaviors. It took me years to really sort of, um, figure out how to do that and what that meant because I was getting a lot of conflicting messages. Um, I was, you know, trying to recover, um, in a world that was in many ways also continuing to feed me with very damaging advice and very damaging, um, messages about my body, et cetera. Um, and so part of the reason I do what I do is because I want to sort of, um, you know, help people sort of, um, sort through and be able to 
shut out the messages that are hurting them mm-hmm. uh, and be able to reconnect with themselves authentically. And we can go into more of, you know, how I do the work that I do, but, but that's the answer to the question. How did you start, um, with this work of how, you know, helping women stop feeling crazy around food and all of the various, uh, behaviors and thought processes and feelings that go along with that. I, I, I love that. I can't, I feel like it's such an amazing thing that you're doing because it's something that even me and I know your yourself, we really could have used because the treatment options are so limited and it's not really the treatment that I'm even thinking of. It's the stage after it's like the two, the three years afterward where you are, you know, kind of flailing and you're trying to do intuitive eating because that's what your dietitian or your psychologist wants you to do. And so you're reading the book and you're like, I don't even know when I'm hungry. My hunger and fullness cues are fucked. And you know, and then like you're at a party and they're serving quesadillas and you're like, I, I'm not even hungry. I just ate at, you know, at an awkward time, like three. And then, and it's like now it's six and I should have been prepared because I wanted to be hungry for this thing. And then it just goes on and on and on. And if you eat, then you're a failure or mm-hmm. vice versa. Like you're stuck at work. You're really hungry and you didn't bring a snack and you're a loser and a failure and you're going to overeat at your next meal, you know? So yeah. intuitive yeah. eating, I feel like was in it. I feel like intuition is such a pure and honest and powerful thing. And I feel like the boundaries of intuitive eating as a model can mm-hmm. be really perplexing. I feel like. Yeah, you know, and this is something I know we talked about this sort of off the record, and I am so excited to talk a little bit about sort of intuitive eating. And, and you know, it can, it's such a wonderful tool, and it's such an amazing tool, and it's so helpful for women who have been dieting their whole lives just to even ask yourself the question, wait, am I hungry? Wait, mm-hmm. what is my body? I mean, it's such an incredibly freeing thing, an incredibly wonderful thing after having been told your whole life that you have to eat what Dr. Oz tells you on a piece of paper or, or whatever the, the case may be. Um, that being said, right. Um, intuitive eating in and of itself, I don't necessarily think is the answer with a capital a, um, if it's not coupled with, you know, changing our relationship from one of self-loathing to self-acceptance, right. If it doesn't come with ultimate kind, compassionate, um, sort of curiosity about ourselves rather than this sort of diet mentality of eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full or else. (laughs) Right. And I think so many, many people. So one of the problem, I mean, I think one of the big traps that people in recovery fall into is that, you know, they can often approach intuitive eating like it's a diet, right? Mm -hmm. Like emotional eating bad, eating when hungry only is how to do this, right? If Mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm eating outside of the context of hunger and fullness, you know, I'm failing or there's something wrong with me. This villainization of emotional eating is, is very problematic and, you know, something that, um, I think happens so often. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, you know, I think when we approach intuitive eating, like there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, that's just diet mentality, right? That's just Mm -hmm. approaching something that is really positive. That's supposed to be about nourishing our bodies and giving our bodies what our need, what they need and approaching it with the intention to try to control our bodies. Right. So the, the guidelines and the boundaries of intuitive eating, they become, they can become quote, diety, when we approach the boundaries in quotes of of intuitive eating with diet mentality, right? With that morality of eating when hungry is good, eating when you're not hungry is bad. When we start to attach right and wrong, good and bad, black and white to intuitive eating, which is so easy to do if you don't do this other emotional work, things like body image work, things like self-compassion, right? If you're not, um, 
kind of doing this other sort of emotional work and sort of not changing your kind of core beliefs about the way you think about food in your body, it's so easy to fall into diet mentality around intuitive eating. And I think that that's the big um, trap that a lot of women fall into when they are um, approaching intuitive eating from a very well-intentioned place. I mean, I think overall, really, you know, one of the things that I found is you know, a lot of times when we are in treatment and recovering from disordered eating, we, we can fall into the same idea of, I just need to get my food right. Right. Like if I eat intuitively correctly, then I'll be healed. You know what, if I'm eat, you know, once, you know, my, my problem is that I'm eating wrong. Mm -hmm. And in reality, for people who are really struggling with these issues, um, you know, it is the thinking that needs to be changed, right? It's the, it's the black and white thinking that needs to be changed. It's the moralistic thinking that needs to be changed. This is the real heart of the issue. Um, and until we address that, you know, our work with intuitive eating can only go so far. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I thought that I read this, this little excerpt of yours that really made me, that really stood out to me regarding emotional eating and the fact that can it like, Ladies, think about it. It could just be nothing more than kind of a red flag that something's going on, you know? So that yeah. is like, it's kind of cool because you're like, I want hot chocolate. I really want hot chocolate. And you've had a really horrible day and you're kind of freaking out and you're spazzing and you're like walking to the kitchen. And you're like, I actually want all of the things. I need everything. And you just give yourself that moment and be like, oh, is something bothering me? And I love that you said you can have a cookie and write in your journal. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I mean, I think this is another thing is like we get so hung up on, you know, again, with diet mentality, we get mm -hmm. so hung up on don't eat emotionally, don't eat emotionally, don't, do don't eat emotionally, don't do it, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, right? And it's, it's, this is all just diet mentality, right? This is, that's all that is. Yeah. That voice is just diet mentality screaming at you, right? It's all of the exact ways of thinking that got you into this mess to begin with. Um, as opposed to thinking about emotional eating, it's like, oh, isn't this interesting? You know, like my, you know, my emotions are actually craving something. Like I'm actually craving a little emotional nourishment right now. Mm -hmm. I wonder how I can give myself what I best need. I'm so glad that I have this, you know, ability to notice when, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I'm feeling like I need some comfort. How wonderful. Mm -hmm. And to your point, right. If it, if the best option that I can come up with, I'm just like, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to eat the cookie. That's what's happening fine, have the cookie and go write in your journal, right? <laughs> Having the cookie doesn't actually keep us from being able to take care of our emotions, look at our emotions, do all of the emotional work that, that ultimately will emotionally nourish us. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, again, when we approach our work around emotional eating, like it's all about controlling the food, right? That is diet mentality, as opposed to looking at emotional eating, like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to really learn about myself and give myself what I need. And if I eat the cookie, fine, at least, you know, hopefully at, at the very least I can eat the cookie and go be like, oh, that's interesting. I guess I was looking for a little comfort right now. What else can I do? Yeah. How else can I meet that need? Um, so yeah, I think that that's, you know, it's just, again, it's sort of a perfect example of, 
you know, are you approaching this work through diet mentality or are you approaching this work through like a true desire to, to emotionally nourish yourself and feed yourself and be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself. Exactly. I remember whenever I was seeing a dietitian back when I was, I guess, 17 or 18 and regarding intuitive eating, I remember talking about feeling, and this is kind of a fond memory now that I'm thinking about it, but feeling, you know, like about, cause we were talking about emotional eating and how it was bad and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, whenever I would bring up the fact that I am eating when I'm not hungry sometimes, and she would be like, that's okay. Cause that's called taste nutrition is what she would call it is <laughs> taste nutrition. And it's fine. And it's fine to eat when you're not hungry. If you just want to, your palate want, is wanting something that's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's just not the end of the world. You know, I mean, I think there is this, you know, the diet industry is really raking it in, um, villainizing emotional eating and, and turning emotional eating into this giant sin, right? Like, Oh my God, don't do it. Like, you know, that is, it's the worst thing you could do in the world. It might as well be heroin. Right. And it's very, it's this incredibly fear mongering language around food, which is a hundred percent, you know, just a symptom of our greater cultural, um, you know, beliefs that there's a right way to have a body and a wrong way to have a body and a right way to eat food and a wrong way to eat food. And this is an incredibly dangerous. I mean, this is, this is the problem, right? Like these beliefs that we have, that there is a right way to have a body and a right way to eat, right? These, these, these are the beliefs that are getting women into this mess to begin with. Um, we need to be able to get comfortable with our food on our foods terms. Even if it's a little emotional eating, guess what? There are way worse things you could do. Emotional eating is a pretty benign coping mechanism on the spectrum of coping mechanisms, you know, I mean, it's really, um, it's kind of the least of our problems, uh, when, um, as far as ways that you could be taking care of yourself. Exactly. And I was just thinking, and I just got this weird little soft feeling in my heart just now, because I was thinking of like all of the women, even the women that are just like stone cold dieters and they're really strict and they're really, you know, defensive and upset and maybe they're older. And I feel like everybody knows what I'm talking about. Like the aunts in your family and the, mm-hmm. whoever, your friend, your friend's mom. And then just like thinking about women as, and I know men have eating disorders or have problems with food. I'm not saying that they don't. Sometimes they just manifest a little bit differently. Um, Mm -hmm. but just like this innate sense that women really just, we desire so strongly to belong and to be a part of something. And even if that structure is food-based, we like to listen to diets. Mm -hmm. We like to listen to books. We like to see, I mean, yeah, we like to, we like to listen to podcasts. We like to read paleo things. We like to be a part of this community because it makes us whole. It makes us important, you know? And so it's, it, it is way more than that. And I feel like that goes back to what you were saying about like, you have to address the body stuff. You have to address the societal stuff. You have to address the relationship stuff, everything that's beyond the plate and then I mean I don't want to just be like and then the plate falls into place but I mean (laughs) then and there's also so many ways to nourish yourself I mean that's not really what I meant to say but that's true um I meant to say like (laughs) that's so true everybody like I'm just the fact that you get a different type of nourishment eating popcorn at like 10 p.m with your husband watching tv than you you know might when you're starving and you really want a sandwich or something but it's not saying that you're not nourishing yourself in some way you're really bonding 
Yeah. Well, you know what the other thing is that I think is really interesting about the emotional eating conversation is that we like to pretend that um, emotion, eating for physical hunger and eating for emotional hunger are completely two separate different things. But the reality of the situation is that every time we eat, it is both emotional and physical, right? Everything mm-hmm. we eat affects us physically and has sort of a, a you know a connection to our physical body and affects our physical energy and affects how we feel physically, et cetera. And everything we eat also gives us some level of emotional nourishment, right? I mean, emotional nourishment is part of the eating experience. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that we like to separate these two things. And I understand, I mean, even when I work with my clients, you know, for clients who are completely new to this conversation of emotional eating, you know, it's, we always start with, okay, you know, our, you know, certainly conversations around intuitive eating kind of start with, is this physical hunger? Is this emotional hunger? But the truth is, is that, um, generally speaking, when we eat anything, we're to some extent experiencing both. It's just a matter of degree on either side. Um, so yeah. So I think that that's important to, to sort of recognize we're always getting some sort of emotional nourishment from everything we eat. And to some extent, everything we eat is, is having a, you know, physical impact on us. And, um, yeah, I think that that's, it's, um, it's a, it, it kind of puts the conversation a little bit of a different, um, a spin on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but secondly, you know, this other point that you bring up around sort of women, one thing I will say about the gender conversation is that women are certainly trained into from a very young age, the belief that their value is based on how they look. Right. So there's no doubt that women are receiving this message that your value in life and your worth in life is somehow a function of your the way you look, your sexual value, et cetera. There's no doubt that women are getting that message in a different way that men are. Right. And so I think that, you know, when we talk about the differences between how food affects men and women, food certainly affects both. And particularly male eating disorders are on the rise, I think, primarily as a function of how the conversations around, you know, equating weight and health are really have been changing in the past 20 years, right? Like 30 years ago, no one, you know, weight and health were not nearly as heavily talked about in the same sentence. You know, weight was an issue of vanity 30, 40 years ago. Now it's like health, 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 right? And that's a new political, that's a new political conversation. Um, but yeah, but women, you know, I think historically women have always gotten this message, you know, your worth and your value to some extent is based in your, um, fitting into whatever societal standard of beauty currently exists in the past, let's say hundred years, thinness has come into vogue. Um, and so there's a huge, huge emphasis on, um, constantly trying to manipulate our food in an attempt to, um, manipulate our body, the way our bodies look and therefore manipulate how we're seen and viewed in society and getting society's approval, getting the approval of, um, other people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's, you know, it is a little, there is a difference in how, um, I think women and men are, are raised around this conversation. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to, to talk about, right? Because if your body, right, if the way your body looks is how you perceive your social status or your worth in society or your ability to be approved of or loved in society, that puts a hell of a lot of pressure on your food. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it is like impossible. This is why I say I think that this is a topic of conversation that affects pretty much all women to some extent. It's just a matter of degree because 
every woman out there to some to some extent or another is getting the message that your lovability, right, your your worth in society is to some extent dictated by how you look. And in the current society in which we live, that means your ability to conform to the thin ideal, right? How could one not develop a contentious relationship with food? How can women not develop a contentious relationship with food when that's how they're raised? And to this pretty much most of us are raised that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's, it's really, really, really critical, um, that we start to, uh, really look at how our, um, relationship to our bodies, the extent to which how our bodies look dictates our self-esteem and our self-worth, you know, plays into this whole conversation. Because as long as our our bodies and the way we look dictates our self-esteem and dictates, you know, how we perceive our worth and, and value in society, right? Food is going to be that important, right there, that important to us, right? Like that is how much power food is going to mm -hmm. have over our lives. Like that is the fuel that drives this entire problem. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm just feeling so many things right now. Just getting, I'm getting so fired up, but I'm also just like yeah. thinking, I'm just like thinking about it and I'm just sitting here and like shaking my head because I'm just SMH. No, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm thinking about just the fact that we think that we're attracted to a specific look. Does that make sense? Like a specific body type. We are programmed mm -hmm. to think some, something looks good. One body type. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we see it constantly, constantly, constantly over and over again. Yep. And, I, and I was just thinking about what right. you're saying about growing up that way. And I just, of course we grew up that way. Every cartoon character we saw had like a large breast and small right. waist and curvy hips and long hair. And you have to be right. perfect and small nose right. and big eyes. Right. And it's right. all just and Ursula is like, you know, a giant. Oh fat my God. She right. is, I mean, isn't she? Right. So, <sighs> you know, villains in Disney movies are, are often double chin uh, moles you yes. know i got a big mole on my face so it's like am i ugly am i an ugly villain yeah it, it is amazing when you look at disney movies in particular it's like the brainwashing starts at such a young age into sort of associating thinness with purity and lovability and beauty and attraction and you know and and fundamentally goodness right and fatness is is a, you know looks is, is what ogres are and witches are and um you know giant so in ursula in the mm -hmm. sea yeah it's crazy it's really really amazing i mean the brain again brainwashing starts at a very young age <laughs> yeah that and then like i'm trying to think of even just like real movies or tv shows and characters and tv shows and you think about all of your any, I don't, I don't mean, I don't want to say plus size, but you know what I mean? Like plus size, yeah, yeah. plus size. I, I just, any of those characters are always the funny fat friend. Do you know what I mean? Oh, always. Yeah. We're going to be the funny girl over here and we're going to have like all of the guy friends and we're never going to have a love interest. Or if we do something bad is going to happen or it's just like, it's so surprising if they do. And the protagonist is never the curvy person and she's always right. the pathetic friend. And it's just like, what? <laughs> right. I think one of the most, one of the things things that sort of, um, myself and also a lot of my friends in the sort of body positive sort of, um, uh, body positive activist movement, right? I mean, this is now a political movement coming up, trying to fight for, um, you know, equal representation of bodies in the media, right. And actually pushing for there to be, you know, a plus size protagonist who is portrayed in a light that is positive, right. And, uh, loved and 
and, and adored sexy. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and looked so at hard. for something other than just being the stereotype of the fat friend. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what we need in the media. I mean, if the media does not change, I mean, it's kind of chicken or the egg, right? Like what's yeah. happening first? Is it media that's dictating culture or is culture dictating media? Mm-hmm. Um, again, very chicken or the egg. Um, but we need to start having really, really honest conversations about how we like really discriminate against plus size people, larger bodied people. Um, I know a lot of body positive women who have totally reclaimed the word fat, right? They're like, I don't want, you know, I'm going to use the word fat in a completely neutral way. The way I use the word tall, the way I use the word short, the way I use the word blonde, the way I use the word brunette. Like I, I refuse to villainize the word fat because every time anyone villainizes the word fat, it's like you are just reinforcing the idea that fat is the worst thing a woman can be. Um, and I love that. Right. I love, um, when women say, you know what? Yeah. Like I'm, you know, size 18, I'm a fat woman and that's that, like, what are you going to do about it? You know, like, this is my body, like for, please excuse my language, like go F yourself, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's just, there is, so we need to, um, Yeah, we need to, I think the media, I mean, is obviously one area where um, the brainwashing occurs. It is is interesting to think about the chicken or the egg thing. But, um, you know, these, all of our, quote, collective, our collective food issues, right, if you want to think about it, are a direct result of this, are a direct result of weight discrimination, size discrimination in our culture, right? If we didn't villainize fat and praise and idolize thinness, right, our collective food issues would not exist. And I think that that's something that is not talked about enough in most treatment settings. There are, yeah, there are so many, there are just so many... (laughs) There are so many things wrong because because I recently even saw like a body positive person. I think it was body posy panda. I don't remember somebody on Instagram. She had to repost something because um, it was only portraying able bodied individuals. So she reposted something regarding like and then it comes to the gender discussion, which is like so amazing. I I always I don't mean to if someone's listening who is like genderqueer or is really, you know, doesn't identify with one or the other. We don't mean to just speak of like men and women and things like that. Hopefully you can relate to what we're talking about without, you know, feeling like we're just ignoring you. But just thinking of things like that, how not only are we just like discriminating against like fat people and I'm still getting mm-hmm. used to that term because it was always something that was used so negative negatively toward me whenever I was younger yeah. that yeah, it's, it's like even to just hear people talk about it or call themselves that I'm like oh my gosh no you're not and then I'm like wait why am I even what yeah <laughs> why am I saying anything you're yeah, you so be you <laughs> yeah totally it's so confronting when you when we first heard when you first hear the word fat used in a neutral capacity, right? When you hear somebody Mm -hmm. proudly describe themselves as fat or, um, when you hear, you know, just really the word fat in general being used in a non-derogatory way, it's like, so like, it's a mind fuck. It is. No, I've already said fuck like three times on this. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to go for it. I'll like you more. Everybody will like you way more. (laughs) All right, cool. Okay. Cause I have a little bit of a dirty mouth. Yeah. It is a mind fuck, right. To hear the word fat being used in a neutral way, to use the word 
word fat used in a non-negative way. Um, totally like mind blowing, right? It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, what is like the sky now? Like purple polka dot. Oh, like, okay. like, like the whole world is like turned upside down by the concept that fat could be possibly used in a, in a non-negative, um, framework. Um, and it is, it's difficult. It, I think it's really, it's so difficult to get used to. It makes people uncomfortable, but it's like one of those things that's so important to challenge, right? It's so important to challenge, right? Like this is the problem. The problem is that we hate, like we so deeply in our culture just think fat is bad. Then it's good. Fat is bad. Then it's good. Fat is bad. I mean, that is the message you've been getting since you were a kid that ultimately if you're struggling with food is like the fuel that drives this entire diet binge cycling, not right thing. This mm-hmm. whole like, Oh my gosh, I hate myself. Why did I eat all the cookies? Bullshit. All of that. Right. Mm-hmm. All of that to some extent is driven by this weight sizeism. Right. Um, and it's interesting cause you know, it's funny. I work with women who struggle, who identify both as binge eaters and as emotional eaters. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to really quickly, if you don't mind, give my personal definitions yeah. of these terms. So I generally describe binge eating as a reaction to deprivation, right? So, you know, I completely encourage my clients to let go of the concept of binge eating as having to do with volume or amounts of food or anything like that. I'm just like, binge eating is a reaction to deprivation. It is, oh my God, I shouldn't eat the cookies. So I'm just going to like eat the whole box because I fell off the wagon anyway. So I might as well just eat the whole thing. And then tomorrow I promise I'll never eat cookies again, right? Like it's this, it's this, it's this, um, it is eating in some sort sort of reaction to, or as sort of a yang to some sort of restriction yin, right? Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't exist outside of some mirror parallel to restriction, right? Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat all the cookies in my house today so that tomorrow they're out of the house and tomorrow will be day one. Or, um, oh my God, I haven't had a cookie in six months. I can't hang on any, any longer. I'm just going to die. Go for it. I need to eat all the cookies right now because I just can't stand. I can't take it one more minute. I just, you know, need to Mm -hmm. let go and just go crazy. Right. And so it, it binge eating, basically in, in this definition is a, it, it doesn't exist outside of the context of deprivation, right. Mm -hmm. Versus emotional eating, which is just, you know, I'm bored. I want a cookie. I'm anxious. I want some ice cream and to watch a movie, right. Sort of this classic eating to feed your feelings, right. Eating as a way of coping, eating as a soothing mechanism. Um, what's interesting about these two things. So binge eating, obviously, according to this definition, does not exist outside of the context of deprivation and restriction, right? It's a direct reaction to dieting, according to this definition. What's interesting about emotional eating, though, is that there's been an enormous amount of emotional eating, not necessarily, right, in the sense that emotional eating, like, you could not be dieting and not be struggling with diet mentality at all and just be bored and want a cookie, right? Like, it could just be a totally normal, like, "Eh, whatever, I'm bored, I want a cookie, as opposed to, oh, my God, I'm not allowed to have cookies, I'm going to have the whole box, right? It could be a totally just, like, whatever thing, like, oh, birthday cake, it's my birthday, I'm going to celebrate and have a cookie, right, or have some cupcakes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, what's interesting about emotional eating is that emotional eating also is correlated with dieting, meaning the more restrictive history you have, right? The more you've dieted in your life, the more contentious and fraught with anxiety your relationship with food is, the more often you are probably going to turn to food for comfort in times of emotional duress, right? And this is just a statistic, right? Like this is just a correlation we see over and over and over again when people do sort of weight and food related research. Um, Obviously, it's debatable why this happens, but probably not brain science, right? People who are dieting are thinking about food all the time. Therefore, they're probably going to go for it more when their you know, willpower is weakened by emotions or whatever. Um, there's so many... Um, 
obvious reasons, I think, why there's this correlation between emotional eating and dieting. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because, right, I think dieting, it's very clear that dieting to some extent is sort of at the root of both of these problems that people associate with overeating, right? Like people are like, Oh my God, people never think dieting is their problem. They always think overeating for the most part. And it depends. I mean, some people are a little bit more woke to this issue than others. Obviously, if you've been in treatment, if you're in recovery, it's sort of a different story, but a lot of diet binge cyclers, a lot of women who quote, feel crazy around food, but maybe have never, you know, had a eating disorder diagnosis or anything like that. A lot of them, particularly binge eaters, they don't see their problem as restriction. They don't see their problem as body image related. They don't see that the problem is diet culture and the way that they've been trained to think around food and the way they've been trained to think about their body. They don't see that. They just think, oh my gosh, I eat too much. I have this overconsumption problem. And there's this complete blindness to the fact that this problem is directly correlated and probably would not even exist if we didn't have dieting first, right? If we didn't mm -hmm. get the message first as young children that there was something wrong with our bodies and that we needed to control our food to fix it, right? And so um, that's, you know, really like my sweet spot, just like kind of coming full circle to, you know, why I do the work that I do for so long, I was in treatment for quote binge eating disorder. And I just kept thinking, you know, my problem is that I eat too much. My problem that is I eat too much. You know, I don't have to worry about body image issues. I don't need to like heal my relationship with my body. I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with restriction. You know, I just need to get my food under control. I just need to get my food under control. My problem is that I eat too much. I binge eat. I, you know, I eat emotionally. That's my problem. And I was completely unwilling to look at the fact that I was clearly also trying to control my food, restricting and hating my body all the time. And that was actually the root of the issue. And it wasn't until I really looked at that and really dealt with that side of things that anything ever changed with my emotional eating or my binge eating. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of my kind of, I think that sort of really encapsulates what I'm all about is like, I really want to help particularly binge, you know, people who identify with this term binge eating and emotional eating really understand that this problem really starts with this deeper problem called, I've been told my whole life that my body's not good enough and I have to change it. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. And this is, you know. It's, it's just so like, much heavier than your food, guys. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like probably so much more than your food. And right. I feel like hmm, there are varying degrees of every single of everything you're talking about. Right. I mean, there are some women that are just like kind of kind of just the yeah, like you said, they eat they eat emotionally. Occasionally they hang out with friends. They drink a lot of wine they kind of go through their rituals. So, OK, so what about when it comes to like ritualistic tendencies, like every night you enjoy doing this, like having a snack after dinner or something and you look forward to it and it makes you happy and it's fun and you do that and mm -hmm. what if you do it every day like is that is that like an emotional is that a, an emotional eating coping crutch. problem crutch yeah that's what I'm thinking it's like I always get questions about things like that it's like is it worth it is it fine and I'm, and I, it's so hard to figure out where the, you know, where the clarity, like, why do you want the clarity? Like, why are, why are you asking kind of well, thing? Well, exactly. And that's what you just said. Like, why are you asking? That's really the core of the issue because what everyone is looking for, what I see all the time is women looking for somebody outside of themselves to tell them that they are okay, to tell them that they are right. To tell, right. Whoa, to tell. Yes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
everyone wants somebody outside of themselves to tell them that they are okay, right? Like that is what so many Ooh. women are looking mm -hmm. for. And what actually is really, and there's no end to that, right? It's like you get approval once and then like something changes and you're like, oh shit, now I need new approval, yes. right? I mean, it's, there's just no, that is the treadmill that never ends, right? Like that is the hamster gerbil wheel that never yeah. ends. When really it's like, you get to decide what is okay for you and what's not, right? Like you get to decide like what feels good for you mm -hmm. and what doesn't. Um, and I think that that at, at its core, I ideally, I really think that, you know, intuitive eating functionally is about that, right? When we're looking at intuitive eating from the non-diet perspective, right? Um, at its core, I would hope that women are approaching intuitive eating from, from that place where they're like, this is about me making decisions that feel right for myself from within rather than try, you know, taking all of this information about what's right for me from the outside world. Right. This is about me looking inside and asking myself authentic, authentically what feels right for me. No, I can't tell you. Right. No one can tell you, you know, what feels right for you to, to eat tonight, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whatever it's not. There's no rule or boundary. Right. That is that is correct in quotes. Um, this is all about what feels right for you at any given moment. Right. Um, and I think that that's can be really scary for people, right? I mean, like, this is like the core of it is that people just, they want to be boundaried. They want this like false illusion of control. Right. Um, uh, but ultimately, right. I think that those illusions of control, they never work. Right. I mean, they just set you up for frustration, potential failure, feelings of shame and guilt when it ends up looking a different way than you thought it should, or that someone told you it should look or whatever, right? Mm. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure when you create your sense of safety, when your sense of safety depends on your food looking a certain way, mm -hmm. right? That is dictated, right? That, that you dictate acceptable. I, um, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me interrupt it. you. I was just thinking as you were saying that the illusion of control and then just like projecting, like having this right and wrong still, I feel like the right and wrong still in the intuitive eating bubble, it, it is, it is such a shame because I feel like there are so many good and amazing things to come out of it. And like you said, at its core, it is such a cool framework and it really does like help you it's not like you need an answer from external forces. It just helps you unlock things that are already there. Yeah. And, um, it's just like, it is kind of bittersweet because like as a blogger, I personally get messages of people like wanting to give me the right and wrong. Like I'm posting foods that are quote too healthy, you know, and I'm projecting like an orthorexic look, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for me, I personally am eating out of a place of nourishment and I am not trying right. to like narrow the vision of what I'm eating to show everybody just specific foods. This is literally what I'm eating right now. And maybe I'm not posting that I'm eating pizza tomorrow, but I mean, it's not because I'm not posting it on purpose. Maybe I right. just did it. You know, I'm not like avoiding showing you my pizza, but it's right, just right. like, it's just like projecting that right and wrong onto other people as well. I feel mm -hmm. like can be, it's just, it's just a weird cycle that we put ourselves in and whether it be you're eating pizza and burgers and that's wrong or you're eating salads and smoothies and that's wrong because you can't eat that you can't eat that and be nourished and fine and not restrictive and I'm just telling you that's wrong too you know so I feel like 
I'm just saying, part, look for boundaries. Part for health bloggers. Yes. It's there for health bloggers who are like, I am like, I so want to like share with you like all of these foods that make me feel really good. And I don't want to moralize them to you. Yes. I don't want to make you feel like this is the way you have to eat to be good. Because guess what? Like you can all, if a pizza feels good to you, like that's awesome too. And guess what? Sometimes a pizza will feel good to you. Like I guarantee it. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Right. Like sometimes like having a brownie for no other reason than that what you want a brownie is what might feel good to you in that moment. And like, that's cool too. So yeah, I, I totally, um, you know, I feel like for all, you know, obviously I've been in this industry for, you know, so many years yes. now. And uh, I think that that's sort of like the eternal struggle for the body positive health professional, right? Is how do I share health without moralizing or without, um, you know, con- you know, reinforcing the idea that there's a right way to eat and a wrong way to eat. It's like, I'm just like sharing what makes you feel good. And like, if this makes you feel good too, awesome. Um, but like, there's no, there's no morality here, right? There's no actual right and wrong. Like it's really about, you know, inspiring and encouraging you to do what feels right for you. Um, so yeah, I totally, I understand, I understand your frustration. It would be interesting. I'm like, now I'm like inspired. I'm like, maybe I should, uh, you know, post a picture and just be like, here is me eating the pizza. Like just once, or just, you know, just for the purpose of just showing you that like, sometimes I eat pizza, you know, so inspiring. Like, maybe I'll do that. I'm just like, so yeah, just, thinking about it another I'm talking about it. I'm like, it's sounds like a really easy fix. Carson, you could just yeah. uh, like cookies and pizza. You could do that. Right. Uh, just, yeah. Like just do like, like you, yeah, I think that would be an awesome idea. Like maybe, maybe that's what you'll attach to this podcast. Exactly. You know? like, maybe it, I will do the final pizza picture so that they can understand. Um, well, yeah. I was thinking like, I guess where I'm coming from is a space of like, it is about more than just food. And I feel like in my, where I am now, it's like way more about body and it's way more about shifting the focus on like dealing with that. Do you know what I mean? Where just where I'm coming from. And I, I I don't know why I always think people already understand that they don't. And sometimes like, I'm sorry, of course you can't read my mind. Um, but right, right. (laughs) Whatever. Um, but it's true. It's true. Like, I feel like, you know, well, and this kind of brings up, this is probably a term that most people haven't heard of. I know we've talked about this privately, but, um, you know, the phrase health at every size, Yep. right. Mm-hmm. So, um, is gaining so much steam, which I'm so grateful for and so happy about as a health professional myself, right. Is this idea of, can we take back health from being weight normative, meaning the way to achieve health is to make your body like look this specific way as a proxy for health when in reality, right, making your body look a certain way doesn't actually guarantee or even mean health by any stretch, right? Like right. there are tons of really unhealthy thin people out there just like there are unhealthy mm-hmm. every shape and size, other shape and size that there is, right? And so yep. it's like, let's just focus on doing things that make us feel good, moving our bodies, like eating in ways that nourish us, right? Whatever size our bodies end up at when we are behaving healthfully is our, by definition, our healthful body size. We don't need to achieve health by achieving the right body. We need to go for health. And then whatever body we end up at when we're going for health is by definition, our healthy body. And I think that that's, um, really what is the big confusion, right? Is we have so many people going after the body as a proxy for health, right? Going after the size as a way to achieve health, Mm -hmm. as opposed to going after health for health's sake, 
and allowing whatever body their body ends up at, whatever size their body ends up at when they're eating healthfully or when they're taking care of themselves or, you know, being healthful, right? Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, holistically, spiritually healthy, right? When I feel my best mentally, emotionally, physically, et cetera, when I'm taking care of myself from a holistic framework, wherever my body ends up when that's happening, that's my healthy weight, right? I don't need to go for any specific BMI category, right? By definition, that shit, PS, BMI, bullshit, but that's yep. another word. It's another time. That's a another whole another thing. <laughs> right, whole another conversation, right? <laughs> it's like we need to move away from this very um, screwed up, <laughs> highly politically contentious concept called try to achieve BMI 25 in order to achieve health, right? And start actually just pursuing healthy behaviors and letting our weight arrive at whatever weight is healthful for it as an individual when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. That was all just so exactly everything. That was like the whole podcast in one like 30 second. I feel like night. it was so powerful. Going for the health. I love it. Um, It's so true. I mean, like, I don't know. This may... Right? Including health and that definition is like something I definitely don't want to breeze past because that's so important, right? It's like, what is the point? I don't think that you can achieve true physical health if you don't have mental health. It's like, they've got to go together, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and if having pizza once in a while is part of your mental health process, have a pass. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, like, I mean, I feel like it's really hard for people to get perspective of what kind of what we're talking about if they're kind of new to this, but they're really enjoying it. So I guess I can use myself as an example. And you guys have probably heard me talk about this stuff a lot. If you're familiar with the podcast or the blog or anything like that, I mean, I, going in as a yoga teacher, I am a little bit curvier than most of the yoga teachers that you're going to see on Instagram or anything. And technically, I'm pretty sure if we're talking about the bullshit BMI, I'm like over the range for being at a quote healthy weight or whatever. So I know it's such bullshit. And I, I literally nourish my body the way that I see fit. I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I fall. Most of the time, usually I eat when I'm not hungry sometimes too. And I mean, it's you, (laughs) I have like foods that make me feel awesome that don't interfere with my sleep that don't interfere with my sex drive that don't you know mm. fuck up my period I'm very like on it and I I move my body I'm really intuitive mm-hmm. I practice self-care and guess the fuck what I'm still like at the like the high I'm like higher than they want me to be they yeah they, <laughs> they right, whoever they, they are <laughs> right yeah it's like so crazy they right I mean again yeah and we could go into the whole podcast for another time but it is so um it is so politically contentious. Do you know that actually it was in the nineties, the, the definition of healthful BMI, which PS was a made up thing that came about in like the forties or fifties or something. Yeah. Um, we talked about this privately before, yeah, but <laughs> FYI, the concept of BMI is pretty new. It literally didn't exist until the past, like, you know, 50 or so years. Um, but they've been lowering it ever so slightly, you know, to like effectively like try and motivate people into healthy habits thinking like, Oh, if we just tell people that they're fat, right. If we tell people their body's not good enough, that will somehow encourage them to eat more vegetables. Yeah. Guess what? It didn't have that effect. Telling people that their bodies aren't good enough and shaming them into healthful behaviors doesn't work. People do not do that. If anything, it just encourages the whole diet binge cycling thing that I've been describing for the past 45 minutes. Right. So, um, yeah, it's fucked up guys. Like you just take everything that you read about sort of the medical establishment perspective on weight, just take it with a grain of salt. Like listen to your body, like do what feels right and good for you. Um, and allow your body to arrive at whatever individual natural weight is right for you. I mean, I think that's the other thing that we need to remember about BMI. BMI is based on the idea that everyone is supposed to have the same body. 
right? Yeah. As opposed to understanding that body diversity is a real thing. Body diver bodies come out all different sizes. Genetics play a huge mm -hmm. role in this, right? Like everyone is sort of made to have different bodies, which is why we need more. And again, come in full circle, body representation, diverse body representation mm -hmm. in the media, yep. right? Because guess what? Not everyone is supposed to be six foot tall, you know, white, thin, you know, uh, size four. That's not the way everyone's built. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so. But if you look like that, you're not ugly, guys. We're not saying that. We're not, like, I, that's that's another thing. That's a whole other thing. But um, <laughs> I like, I kind of, before we wrap this up, I guess I kind of have this, and I think this is just me, like, kind of like your favorite band starting to get popular and you're like, I don't well I I already thought they were cool it's kind of like whenever I see like a plus size figure in the media and people it's so shocking and it's so mm -hmm. like they're like oh my gosh look what look look she is just loving her curves and she's like a size eight and you're mm -hmm. like you're like I just like yeah. I'm just like please come on like we don't it's 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 beauty. It's normal. It's ha not normal. Like, you know what I mean? But like right. healthy, yeah. happy body diversity. And I just, I'm kind of like that with that, but I I'm trying to just embrace it. And maybe the media is slow to understand. And I still feel the pushback most of the time, but. And it's also like baby steps, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like, so for example, a perfect example is Ashley Graham. I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. Ashley Graham. Yeah. She's sort of like the hot plus size model on the block right now. Mm -hmm. And Ashley Graham is like a just stereotypically gorgeous woman, right? Like yeah. she fits into the most typical standard of beauty that there ever could be. Like she has more beauty privilege than like 95% of this planet, but she happens to be plus size and she's curvy in all the quote right ways and whatever, right? <laughs> And so there's yeah. all this sort of criticism is like, oh my gosh, even when I look at plus size models, I feel like shit about myself. Right. Um, but I think one of the reasons why I personally always celebrate people like Ashley Graham and always, I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. Is because it's just like, let's just move the needle a little bit. Yeah. Like it is a long haul until we get to body diversity. I will support every little push that push it takes us in the right direction. Right. Because it's true. It's such a slow haul to get yeah. body diversity and body representation into the media. It's like, honestly, if I, you know, like the fact that, that there is a size 14 woman on the cover of British Vogue right now, I'm talking about Ashley Graham again is, is, is incredible is actually historical. Like yeah. it is historically relevant. Um, and so even though like we are so far from, um, you know, ha we're so far from perfection. Right. And like, we are so far, there are so many issues even with just like, you know, oh, you know, now Ashley Graham is the ideal of beauty. Right. I mean, we have all sorts of issues around this conversation about like, I just can't, you know, for me personally, I'm just like, we've just got to support like every little yeah. step forward we take in embracing different body types, um, in, in the media and in our society in general, because this is how, um, we're going to start to make, you know, change uh, that will have meaningful impacts in the women's history relationships with food, meaningful impacts about the way w women feel about themselves and therefore show up in the world. It's true. And I love that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, women supporting women too. I mean, always go back to that as well. Um, well, yeah. we're like totally, I don't even know how we, how we did it. I mean, we're at the very edge of, of time with this podcast, but, um, we just breezed right I through know, that. Right. I feel like I've got so much more to talk about, but it's fine. Yeah. I, I think we had a lot of juicy juice, but okay. So yeah. where can women find you and how can they work with you? Yeah. So, um, 
Stop Eating Food is my uh, video training series, which is sort of an introduction to my core ideas around healing our relationship with food. If anyone who struggles with binge eating, emotional eating, feeling crazy around food, feeling obsessive around food, um, just feeling like, oh my gosh, the pressure to make my body look a certain way is like out of control and it runs my life, right? I mean, the, the, all of these sort of collection of issues, which do all go together, right? They are all like 10 sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that, you know, has very sort of very deep specific roots that I think there's a lot of confusion about. I definitely offer, oops, and there's an ambulance driving by. So just ignore that. Um, I definitely take a very sociological approach to this issue, right? So I'm offering a perspective that's a little bit different than you might get from like a therapist, for instance. Um, and so if you're interested, if you don't think I'm totally nuts after hearing this interview, um, uh, definitely, I hope you'll check out the video training series, which gives sort of like a really uh, a good introduction to uh, my work and sort of how I help women overcome these issues and really understand these issues in a different way. I believe there's going to be a link to the video training series in the show notes, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, Is that- of course. Okay, cool. And that's All a right. free series, right? You just sign up via email? Totally free. Yeah, it's oh. totally free. Just spreading the word. Yeah, going for it. That's so incredible. And I, I always try to stress that because some people just get intimidated and they think that everything is, you know, un- they yeah. can't grab it. They can't get it. They can't afford it, whatever. They, that's what they tell themselves. And then it's like, girl, it's free. <laughs> yeah, it's free. It's this free. is just, yeah, this is just like for all, this is just like my mission in life, like helping y'all. There are certain, yeah, there are other things you can buy, but like this is like this core introduction, I think everyone needs to have. Like everyone should be introduced to these ideas and these concepts because it is so, um, quite frankly, you're getting the opposite message. You are getting the message that your body is not okay. You are getting the message that your food is not okay. You are getting the message that um, all sorts of conflicting messages, particularly around conversations like emotional eating and binge eating that, um, I think are, you know, really problematic and, and can be really harmful. And I, and, and ultimately don't work that well. Um, so here's a new perspective, you know, on these issues that I, that I hope will, will offer you some peace of mind and some relief, um, from, you know, an issue that so many women deal with for so long unsuccessfully because they don't have the right tools. And you're worth it. Like you ladies are worth it. I mean, you don't really have to, it's not, not fun to start loving your body. You know, I know it can be fun jumping from diet to diet and they're like, no, but I wanted to try this one first before I just decide to stop. Right. That's just fear based. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess we should jump in. Yeah. I guess we should jump into the quick fire round. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention or did we get it all? I, uh, I feel like we, we, I mean, there's get it all right. No, this there, conversation could go on for days. <laughs> I know exactly. This conversation could go on for days. So this is, you know, I feel, feel happy with the ground that we covered. I think it was, yeah. I think it was good. Introduce some interesting new concepts for people. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is definitely, we've kind of been working in the body positivity, food, exercise addiction. We've covered a lot of different things just on the podcast. And I feel like this one was a really good one to just like throw it at them in a different direction, especially awesome. like nothing is really wrong guys, besides, you yeah. know, the portrayal of a specific body type and food way to eat. Okay. Um, okay. So, okay. So, um, what's your spirit animal? Just going to go right oh, into it. Wow. These are going to oh be God. weird questions. I didn't prepare yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, my, my, uh, 
favorite animal, I don't know why this is coming up for me. I don't know if this is my spirit animal, but my favorite animal when I was a little kid were elephants. And you know what? Now I'm sort of like re-embracing elephants because I feel like they're really body positive. Yeah, they are. That's a good one. That's a good one. I'm like, I'm like, I can totally be, I'm like totally down. Like, yeah, like I'm an elephant. Like basically just an elephant. So it's it's fine. I love it. Like I have no problem being like, yeah, my spirit animal is an elephant. And I am one. So it's fine. Um, okay. So what's your spirit food? Oh God. Um, (laughs) well, probably I do love like any kind of pasta noodle, anything that is anything noodly. Yeah. I'm like a potato. I'm like, I like all potatoes, any potato. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So that's like me, but with like variations of pasta. Of different pastas. Any variation. Yeah, exactly. I like bow tie. If I had to pick pasta, bow tie mm-hmm. is texturally my favorite. And I like spirals too. So spirals are good. Oh my God. They're all good. I don't think I could choose. Like, <laughs> we should hard. make like a personality quiz based on your favorite pasta type. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So go. we're going to get a little more deep. So what okay. do you want to see more of in 2017? Um... You know what? I really want to see more chilling the fuck out. I mean, I think that that's, yeah. I mean, I think that that's like, I just, I think that it's, we are, I feel like the trend of society and sort of a post-industrial world is just sort of become more and more and more and more and more stressed out and obsessive as time goes on, not just about food, but about everything. Right. And I feel like there's, um, you know, we exist just more and more in our heads. Social media contributes to this screen time contributes to this, right? It's just, it's getting sort of progressively more out of control for lack of a better word. I know that I'm affected by it. Right. And sort of, you know, I just keep wondering, I'm like, how are we going to, to reverse this? Like, how are we going to combat this a little bit? Like, how are we going to ground ourselves a little bit? How are we going to help each other calm down? And like, you know, again, sort of sink deeper into it's okay guys. Right. Yeah. Cause that is in my opinion, the hardest thing, certainly for the majority of my clients and women who struggle with food, that is like the hardest thing that they do. That is the hardest hardest thing to accomplish it actually takes an enormous amount of discipline to calm down if that makes sense no I believe it Mm -hmm. yeah so um I I'm certainly I'm always looking for more of that more groundedness more calm um yeah and we'll see yeah we'll see how I personally um accomplish that. Same. Yeah. yeah. I'm like on my phone so much these days and I'm really trying to like, gosh, like put it on night mode. I'm like, I should put it on night mode. I'm not even supposed to be on my phone after this hour. And then I'm trying to be like, stop putting all these boundaries on yourself. Like, like stop judging yourself so harshly because it only stresses you out more. But now that I'm just like using my phone 24 seven to answer emails and just anyway, Hmm. guys, you're not alone. If you're like, I use my phone all the time or I just can't chill the fuck out. I I'm, I'm striving. Um, okay. So what's your favorite thing to do? in the morning and what's your favorite thing to do at night uh my favorite thing to do at night is like anything that allows me to be in the fetal position in my bed <laughs> um, whether that be watching television by myself whether that be like cuddling my boyfriend if I can be in the fetal position in my bed that's like pretty much where I want to be at night unless it's Friday or Saturday in which case like I like to have a good time I like to like go out and have fun I love dancing like I'm like Ooh. super into dancing yeah like I'm kind of like a, a, a like totally like just traditionalist in that way you know and it's funny is when I was younger 
like when I was in college and stuff, I remember, um, yeah, I went through periods of time where I was like, Oh no, no, no. Like I'm, you know, I, I wasn't dancing as much. I never like did clubs or you know, went to clubs or anything like that. And then some, for some weird reason, it's like I turned 30 and now I'm having like this revival where I want to just like go out and dance. Like I want to like go to like hip hop clubs and dance. It's like very strange. Um, but anyway, um, uh, yeah. So that at night and in the morning, you know, I don't, uh, I just need to get my, what I'm realizing about myself is that in the morning I just need to get out of, I don't really feel truly awake until I get out of my apartment. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that looks different ways, different times. But like, generally speaking, it's like, I just like feel like my whole day feels a lot better. I work from home and part of this has to mm-hmm. do with being just an at home entrepreneur. Um, but it's so easy for me to just stay in my house and not leave unless I actively yeah. get myself out. And so for me in the morning, I will say, I don't know if this is my favorite thing to do, but I do have a morning ritual and that is like, go out, get a cup of tea, go outside. Like I live in San Francisco in a city where I can like walk yeah. somewhere and just get some sunlight on my face. And I, I just need that in the morning. Like that's, um, yeah. I'm kind of jealous. I wish that I had like somewhere to walk. Yeah. I'm the same way. I just like, if I go, if I end up going to the studio, I get so happy because I am out of the house and then there's so much going on and then I can just stay in town and we live like 30 minutes, no, like 20 minutes out of town, um, with traffic it's like three miles, but it takes forever. And so, (laughs) yeah, I just like, once I'm out, I'm, I'm in love and I feel so much like I'm thriving. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could give one person a hug right now, who would it be? Oh, my sister. Aww. Yeah, I'm that's very so close. like instinctive. That was so fast. <laughs> oh yeah, like I'm very close to my sister. I have a very very strong relationship with my sister. It's like you know when in yoga class when they say like dedicate your practice to somebody. Always like, your sister. <laughs> I always dedicate it to my sister unless I'm ha- unless I'm like having a resentment or like kind of like feeling angry with someone and then I try to offer my dedication to somebody that I'm feeling angry with because it helps me like work through it. Yeah. Um, like feel compassion and blah blah blah. Uh, somebody taught me that trick and I think it's a great trick um but that's really helpful like, on, yeah isn't it like it's actually good to like ought, like to be of service to people that you're angry with for some reason it's yeah. a really great way to deal with anger but um uh my in otherwise on most regular normal days my sister every time like she's just like this like bundle of joy it's like she's like the one person in my life where I just pretty much consistently always feel my absolute best around her it's like I can be my total authentic self like I have like the pure maybe I'll feel this way about one of my children one yeah. day <laughs> I have them but like as a childless woman it's like my purest joy comes from being around my little sister that's so incredible I really I really love that sentiment what a cute that's so sweet I don't have a sister like I mean, I do. I have several, but they're like sisters-in-laws. Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> never mind. Um, I have a lot. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the freaking podcast. Let me just salute you with some video. Let me just throw my... Hey! Woo! Ooh, I will do the same. And now I cannot find the button. All right, there we go. Yay! Oh, Oh, it is on. There oh, you it go. was on yeah. all along. It was on okay. all along. I did not say anything because I didn't want to scare you. But <laughs> we just had like a face-to-face without my face. Did you see me take face. my ponytail holder off? Like, oh, wait, let me just like I didn't my... notice you, but I did see. I saw it all. I saw the whole conversation <laughs> with your face. I was like, oh, my gosh, I was here. At least you weren't like rolling your eyes whenever I was asking questions. I'm just kidding. I am glad that you. <laughs> At least I was fully clothed. Fully clothed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Stripping during the interview. I'll probably edit that part out, but I mean, not that you were naked, but I mean, just yeah. this, this blab, but thanks for coming on the podcast. 
For real. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. And yeah, I hope I've sparked some interest um, in your, in your, uh, in the wonderful ladies and possibly men listening. So thanks so much for having me. 